Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex here of BTN, and this week's guests are Cole Kubelik from SEC Network and Harold Shelton, BTN's Manager of Research. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! Oh my goodness, what a catch! Oh Energy, enthusiasm. All right, first guest is Cole Kubelik, like I mentioned. He is a radio host in Birmingham, former Auburn football player, and current SEC Network analyst and reporter. And we talk SEC football, Big Ten football, and had some fun. Uh, SEC Network, Big Ten Network crossover. That discussion starts right now. Very pleased to be joined by former Auburn football player, current SEC Network analyst, and the host of Three Man Front in Birmingham on WJOX. It's Cole Kubelik. You can follow him on Twitter at Cole Kubelik. Cole, how's it going, sir? Hey, doing well. Uh, Excited to be here. Excited that we have uh, football to talk about. Some that we've already played and some that's uh, fastly approaching. Yeah, we're so excited. Uh, When this drops, it'll be about a week out for the Big Ten for a Friday night debut. but just off the top, if you could introduce yourself to a Big Ten audience for those who might not know you or might not watch SEC Network, um, just doing my own research, I saw, you know, after Auburn, you were in sales for a little bit. So tell me, how did you get into broadcasting? Take us through step by step how you got to your current uh, sports media role. Yeah, actually, I, I, I've always wanted to do it. Um, I mean, when I was playing Tecmo Bowl or NBA Jam or RBI Baseball as a kid, I would I would call the games. So I mean, I, I knew this is what I wanted to do, and I would listen to sports talk radio on my way <clears throat> to and from high school. And when I got out of college, I was a communication major at Auburn, uh, played at Auburn, permanent captain in 2000. We went to the SEC championship game twice, uh, played Michigan in the bowl game my, my last year. <laughs> that offense was, was pretty legit with uh, Drew Henson, Anthony Thomas, Jeff Backus, those guys, um, you know, David Terrell. I was, I mean, we were pretty proud to just go toe to toe with that team. Um, but I, uh, I got out of school and it was just, it's not like it is now. There was no big 10 network, SEC network. There was, you know, there weren't all these websites to work for. There weren't, there weren't online entities covering individual teams or conferences. I mean, it was, you know, you either work for one of the big three networks, um, you know, one of a few people with ESPN or the local newspaper or, or local sports talk radio. And there's weren't a lot of spots and there wasn't a lot of money. And I had an aunt that was in pharmaceutical sales and uncle in medical sales. And they kind of helped me get into that because. I was tired of being broke, to be honest with you. And the first season that I was out, uh, I, I, I was in Huntsville, Alabama, which is where my dad lived when I was growing up, when my parents were divorced. And he had a connection at a radio station. That radio station carried Auburn football. And one day on a whim, I was just, I was driving home uh, after making sales calls and I pull in, asked if he was there, he was. I said, hey, you carry Auburn football. I said, the guy that just played quarterback with me lives about 20 minutes from me last year I, I live here we know the team better than anybody why don't you give us a, a pre pregame show and we can take people inside this year's team from a different perspective and I learned my very first important media lesson right there he said if you can sell it you can have it and so we went out and got a couple sponsors had a 30 minute show which is literally 18 minutes of airtime and I called my mom on the way home and I said, um, I said, mom, that's where I belong. I belong behind the microphone. And she said, and then I learned my second best uh, lesson in media. And she said, son, that's great. That's wonderful. Don't give up your day job. Make sure you can make it work before you actually do it. That would take about 10 years uh, to actually be able to piece some things together to do it full time. And then I still had to walk away a couple of years in and then came back in. So uh, my first radio gig was in Huntsville on a startup sports station. Had to walk away from that one a few years in. I was calling games on CSS, Comcast Sports Southeast. We did the Auburn replays uh, for a couple of years. And then I got a deal to do the Sunbelt. So instead of doing two or three Auburn games, I took that to do a full slate of Sunbelt games. I did that with Joe Davis, who's now with Fox. Did it with Joe Block, who does Pirate Games. And Tom Doerr, who called uh, a couple of Bulls championships on WGN. So um, really got my feet wet there. SEC Network came along. 
I was able to, to sort of, I wasn't on the front end of it. I wasn't on the first roster that came out. Uh, second or third year in, I was able to kind of squeeze in and get a couple games and just slow climb from there. Now I'm doing radio in Birmingham. I got on the ump in Huntsville, a different radio station. And that took me down to Birmingham. Been in the Cumulus family since 20, I guess, 14. So life is good. I haven't worked in about seven years. So Yeah, that's an awesome story. I love asking media personalities and and uh, you know, sports media types, how they how they got into it. And I did the same thing when I was growing up, calling the Madden games that I would play. Oh, yeah. like, I didn't really have announcer aspirations, but I still just love doing that, just trying yeah. to emulate, you know, Al Michaels and John Madden. Uh, so that's awesome. But uh, I do want to get into your current role a little bit, just with all the changes this year. Um, and we will get into some Big Ten SEC talk in just a moment. But I'm curious, what's been different for you this year personally, you know, being a sideline analyst with the pandemic, the precautions, and the just completely different environments on campus? Yeah. Well, well first off, the environment, I think, has been as different as anything else because, as you know, whether it's, you know, the big house, the horseshoe, or it's a whiteout at Penn State, you, you know, Big Ten fans, um, you know, whether it's, you know, here jump around in Madison, there, there are some of the best environments in college football, period. Um, same thing with the SEC, and those have not been the same. Um, I've, I've been outside the SEC a little bit as well. I did a game at Ames at Jack Trice Stadium. I've done a game at Auburn, did a game at Lexington, uh, did a game in Nashville at Vanderbilt, and it is just, it, it's not the same. It's not even close. Now, some places have done some cool things to make it a little bit better than you would have thought it was going to be, and I'm, I'm glad that it hasn't just been hollow and completely cavernous because I, I do think that that has helped a little bit. At least you get some sort of a reaction. You can feel momentum shift maybe a little bit. But that's been the biggest difference for me is teams can't feed off that. It's not demoralizing for, uh, for the visiting team. It doesn't make their life more difficult when they come into play. And then the social distancing on the sideline, you know, doing interviews with a microphone on a microphone stand with a speaker and I'm six feet away wearing a mask the majority of the time or all the time. That's been very different. Uh, but probably the, the hardest part has been not having my teammates with me. Uh, I do games with Jordan, Hart, uh, Jordan Rogers and Tom Hart every week on SEC Network. Saturday nights will be in the morning this week on Kentucky and Tennessee. But I, that's my road family. That's my work family. And, and I haven't been with them. And so whether it's talking football, talking about our, our kids, our social lives, whether it's talking about future plans, whether it's talking about what we want to cover in the game, things we like about certain teams, players, things we see that the others didn't, we don't get that time at dinner on Friday night, maybe Thursday night, after our meetings with coaches. Not having meetings with coaches face-to-face -face has been huge because it's just, it's just human nature to be more open when somebody's right there in front of you. And you know, what, what, one, the place that I get my best information is 30, 45 minutes before kickoff, hanging around the 50-yard line in between both teams that are warming up because they know everything's – I mean, the hay's in the barn at that point. So they're not afraid to say – hey, we're going to run a reverse pass on the first play. Or watch out for this guy. He's going to have a big role today. Or we're not going to run that. Or this guy's not going to play today. That's where your best information comes. And so I'm not allowed to go on the field at any point in the game. So, or really at the stadium, not even at the game. So I'm not able to get that as well. Those have been the big challenges for me so far. Yeah, I feel you. It's been a huge bummer. Um, you know, I, I don't go to too many game days, but we, we do get around to every campus, generally in the summer and you know meet the coaches players and just missing out on that this year as and missing out on the in-office interaction the water cooler talk has been sure. uh you know yeah really a bummer um one i guess difference for me personally in the preseason i have watched way more sec this year so far um with the big 10 on the hiatus so give a big 10 fan like myself or anyone who's listening who might still be you know despite the increased exposure might still be a little ignorant what you guys got going on down there, a, uh, an overview, a breakdown, you know, obviously Georgia, Alabama look legit. I know Ole Miss looks pretty feisty under Lane Kiffin. LSU looks like they're taking a pretty big step back, uh, losing some guys. So what's the 30,000-foot overview for us Big Ten fans? Oh, if, you, if you're not really into it, I would say tune into CBS at 7 o'clock Saturday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, and you'll get every single bit of it. Um, because this, this Alabama-Georgia game is, is going to be unbelievable. Uh, one of the best offenses in the nation, probably the best collection of NFL talent on offense in the nation, even if it's not the best offense. Um, you got three, maybe four NFL receivers. Uh, at least two of them are going to be first-rounders, maybe the first two receivers off the board. 
uh, with the way Waddle's playing this year and, and Devonta Smith. I've talked to some scouts that say they think he's their favorite receiver that's coming out this year. Uh, Najee Harris is going to be an early round draft pick at tailback. Alex Leatherwood has a chance to be, I think, second or third tackle uh, after Panay Sewell and Rashard Slater, probably. Um, you, you got Landon Dickerson's going to play in the NFL. Um, Evan Neal's going to play in the NFL one day. So it, I mean, that, that group's just loaded. Mac Jones is playing really good football at quarterback. And Georgia's the exact same way on defense. Um, Julian Rochester and Jordan Davis inside are just those prototypical SEC big, bolder defensive tackles that are almost immovable. Sideline to sideline linebackers, like in Kobe Dean, they can just fly everywhere. And they've got about four or five edge defenders that are as good as anybody has. I don't know. Kirby Smart's got an edge defender tree in Athens, and I think he just plucked – they just fall off every fall, and he just throws them in. I mean, literally it's like 10, 13, 11, 9. Like, oh, these guys just keep coming in. They've got good defensive back play. I think they're – they've given up 115 rushing yards in three games. I mean, that's, that's silly. So, they um, – that defense against the Alabama offense is going to be just magnificent. Brian Denny won't be what it usually is, but it'll still be pretty electric, whether it's 17 or 27,000 fans, whatever it is. It'll be fun to watch. I think it is those two and then kind of everybody else. I think you have a very strong tier two with a Florida who's having a hard time on defense, but great on offense. A&M may have moved back to tier two with Kevin Mond and a great performance against Florida. Uh, they're a little more balanced than Florida is, probably not as good on offense. Um, I think LSU maybe has bumped down to tier three. Still great on offense. I mean, they, they lose to Missouri, but they still threw for over 400 yards. Miles Brennan had a great game, and they have a ton of weapons over there. And they still have a lot of talent on defense. I mean, they have the best corner in college football, first-round safety, one of the best edge rushers in Ali Gay in college football. So there's talent over there. I just think they're having trouble communicating with what they want to do defensively. Um, and then you may, you may get a Kentucky or a Tennessee uh, this game this weekend that we have will probably go a long way in determining that. They can sort of bump up to Tier 2. Um, Ole Miss doesn't have enough defense to ever get there. I don't care how good their offense is. You've got to play some deep. They're giving up almost 650 yards a game. A game. They're the worst defense playing football right now, and the next closest is about 60 yards behind them, average per game. So it's it, – no. Their offense fun to watch, and Lane can call plays, but you got to tackle somebody. Um, but there's interesting teams like Arkansas, who nobody had any expectations for, and Kendall Browse is calling really good offensive plays. And they got a great coaching staff under, under Sam Pittman with Barry Odom, former Missouri head coach, now the defensive coordinator. I don't know what's going to happen with Mississippi State. You know, everybody thought the air raid was going to come in here and just shred the league after what they did to LSU, and it's, you know, they've kind of pooped on themselves here in the last two weekends. So that's going to be fun to watch and interesting, but – you know, teams like Auburn, South Carolina, Missouri, I think still trying to find themselves. We don't really know exactly what they are just yet. But uh, because it's all conference games, it's going to be a really fun year in the SEC. I love you, uh, you know, just hating on the lane train with the Ole Miss shirt on right there uh, <laughs> after your workout. There I've you got go. gear from every team except one. So I just I throw it on in the morning. And, yeah, it's just, it's just the way we roll. I love it. Um, all right, moving on. Before we do a little bit of crossover – fun with our respective networks. Um, I'm curious, if you had to go inside the mind of an SEC fan, I know you have great insight there, which, let's say two programs, if, if an SEC, you know, a uh, Alabama, Georgia fan that, that is a playoff contender this year is being honest, which, which programs scare them from the Big Ten maybe the most? I think Ohio State is obviously up there. Um, who would you say, you know, maybe is in the back of a, an SEC fan's mind, if they're even worried about any Big Ten programs at all? <laughs> I would say it depends on um, which SEC school they're fans of because there are certain ones that are just do not think their team can lose to anybody and nobody's better than their team on any year. It doesn't really matter. Um, Ohio State's going to be number one. And, and I think that's the first team that every SEC fan would, would throw out and say they would either love to see it or they would be terrified to play it uh, or both. Um, I think right now, Penn State would be in that mix. And that's because when you do what he did at Vanderbilt, SEC fans take notice and they immediately say, okay, that guy can coach. And obviously you look at some of the quarterback play, some of the NFL talent that's leaked out of Happy Valley the last few years. I think people would say, I don't want to, don't want to try to tangle with that guy in a one-off game because he could show up and just outcoach anybody any given Saturday. And I think maybe right now Minnesota might be in that mix with what they did to Auburn in the bowl game, a really good Auburn defense where most guys played. 
and just knowing how P.J. Fleck has done more with less at his last two stops, I think that might be the next team. I mean, Wisconsin's probably going to come up a lot. Um, you know, they gave LSU fits a couple of years ago, and I think that's a team that, that Auburn has gone toe-to-toe with in a couple of bowl games and been very competitive multiple times. Um, but I, I think those would probably be the top three on your list right now. Michigan probably should be. Um, I don't know how many SEC fans have a ton of admiration for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I thought of that word to say because I feel like that's fair. But, um, you know, it's, it's I, I, I would say that Michigan not where they normally are right now. I, I would, thought of a you know, little exercise we could do and playing on some of the, the football aspects of our discussion. Um, it, I'll start off here. If we could pick five guys from each other's network. So you pick five guys from yours. I'll pick five guys from mine. And I'll, I'll lead us off to compete in an NFL combine style competition. So you guys, I'm sure, have plenty of former football okay. players. You know, you look, you just got off the bike. You said this morning you look like you could, you could still get after it. I will select the first five and you can take whoever you want on your guys' payroll. So for an NFL combine style competition, you know, we're talking bench, your shuttle run, your 40s, all that. Um, I'm taking my guy Joshua Perry from Ohio okay. State. He's a great linebacker there. Taking another Ohio State linebacker, James Laurinaitis. He looks like he can still get after it. Uh, Kenny Bell, a new addition at BTN, who was a, a really great receiver at Nebraska, speedster. Howard Griffith, you know, kind of an old head, but he uh, got it done in Illinois, two Super Bowls under his belt. And then another guy, just welcome back to BTN, Anthony Heron, who was a stud at Iowa. So those are my five. Well, cool, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I'll, I'll uh, let you have at it. I feel sorry going Anthony Heron because that's, you know, now you're bringing in the old man that you think could be, you know, it's, I, I feel like he's going to let you down there. Um, but, you know, hey, I'm sure he'll give good effort. I'm going Chris Doring, number one. He is a, he's an older guy, but he's a workout freak and is in better shape than anybody at maybe any network. Uh, I'm going Tebow just because uh, I think the pregame speech were probably off the charts. And I mean, the guy's still working out like he's playing in the NFL. I'm going Jordan Rogers because he's young, still athletic and still stays in pretty good shape. Uh, I'm going to go Roman Harper who just joined on because he just stepped out of the NFL like last year. So he's got to be in pretty good shape, right? Um, I can't go Stinchcomb. I can't go me. We're too beat up. We're too old. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that um, – I was trying to think of the crossover sports, and I thought about Chris Burke, who, you know, played Major League Baseball. I know he's a big workout guy, so I'm probably going to reel him in. And because if we had to go with another football guy, like maybe DJ Shockley could be okay. But, I mean, there's – yeah, I, I, the rest of us are just kind of old and beat up, man. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how much damage we could really do. I'll uh, have to shoot Anthony Heron a text after this and That's tell him about tell tell your slander. Tell yeah. him I said it. It's, fair. it's not slander. It's fair. It's fair commentary. We'll have some fun with it. We'll create a little graphic after this and uh, let the fans decide uh, who would win in that competition. Uh, all right, last thing, Cole. Uh, some quick rapid-fire uh, Big Ten SEC opinions or comparisons from you. Uh, the first one is a hypothetical situation. I don't know if this would ever happen, but – uh, say we have a dinner party, got three Big Ten coaches, three SEC coaches. Who do you want at that table? Um, and who do you think would make for the most interesting discussions over dinner? Uh, three Big Ten coaches. It's, it's, I mean, it's got to be Harbaugh, uh, number one. I want Ryan Day there because I don't, I don't feel like nationally we know him well enough yet. And, and I think he's an amazing coach, and I want to get to know him. I want to get to know him better. Um, Boy, who's – I mean, number three, I'm thinking probably probably PJ. Maybe Pat Fitzgerald just because, you know, I've watched him play. Like, he was a guy that I watched. I watched him and Darnell Autry. You would go to that Rose Bowl when I was in high school, and I loved the way he played. So, I'll probably go Pat because I don't think he gets enough run either, and I, I want to hear more from him. And in the SEC, it's, it's – um, I'm going to give you a, a sleeper that, that you – probably wouldn't think about. So it, it's probably going to be Leach and Kiffin because that's going to be the most entertaining. Um, I think Sam, Sam Pittman would be great, but your sleeper is, is going to be Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. And not a lot of people have a chance to know him, talk to him yet, but he dry sense of humor, sarcastic, funny guy, uh, self-deprecating. 
I think Eli would sort of steal the show if, he had a, if, if fans had a chance to sit dinner and hang out with him because he's somebody that, that's very enjoyable to be around. Yeah, as a uh, Illinois grad, Mizzou, at least in basketball, is kind of our rival. And um, when they introduced him at the basketball game this past winter, uh, I didn't know much about him. I was the same way. So I would, I would uh, definitely sign up for that. All right, last rapid-fire questions, Cole. Uh, what is your favorite SEC stadium and favorite Big Ten stadium? Oh, all right, I'm, I'm going to go outside of Jordan-Hare Stadium, where, where I played. Um, it's it's got to be Tiger Stadium, Death Valley, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where LSU plays, especially if you get a night game there. It's just, I mean, having played there twice, undefeated there, by the way, um, and just being able to witness it as a player and as an analyst, it's, there's, it's really special, and there's not another place like it. Um, um, favorite Big Ten stadium. I, the, the problem is I haven't been to enough to experience what I want to to be able to choose. So I'm going to say that the horseshoe is number one on my bucket list, but I really want to go to Madison and I really want to go to the big house. And I'm a little bit embarrassed as a real college football person that I have not been to those places, but they are on the list. And I would love to, I'd love to call games there, much less just go as a fan. But yeah, there, there's a laundry list of Big Ten schools that, like I would rather visit Northwestern's facilities, I think, than I would actually go to a game. But yeah, there's, um, there's I would probably have the horseshoe one and Big House is gonna be up, I mean, a wide out of Kent State, like who doesn't wanna go witness that? So yeah, I need, I need, to, I need to venture above the Mason-Dixon line and take in some more football, that's for sure. I mean, we were talking about biking. I, I have biked from my apartment to Northwestern's facilities. It's, it's like a spaceship on the lake. It's crazy. It's yeah, about 10 it's miles, so. It looks so good. Looks um, so good. All right. Favorite SEC mascot, favorite Big Ten mascot? Uh, Bucky the Badger's got to be favorite Big Ten. I have family in Watertown, Wisconsin. So grew up around then. They were big Wisconsin fans. So got introduced to him early on with all the logos and the, the sweatshirts and everything. So uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Bucky number one, and then I'm going to go favorite mascot in the SEC. Like, I'm going to try to give you an actual mascot. It's got to be Albie. I mean, I'm going to be a homer for this one. He's won like the mascot national championship like 30 times or something stupid. And I don't even know what you do to, to win that, but um, we're going to claim that as Auburn fans, that our mascot is a multi-year national champion. So yes, even though my children are terrified of Albie in person. They do love uh, pictures of Albie and seeing him on television. So big, big Ten has great mascots. We don't have live mascots. That's that's the one thing that I wish we could yeah. incorporate more. That SEC does that well. Uh, all right, uniform uh, from the SEC, uniform from the Big Ten that you like. Um, SEC uniform, I think the kind of the OG Florida blue is really good. I, I don't think you can beat that. I already gave LSU love with their stadium, so I hate to do it with their uniforms again, but LSU's uniforms to me are really clean and just tough to beat. Um, man, when Penn State's all white, I, I don't know if there's one that's better. I really don't. Um, I do. Most people hate the alternate uniforms, but I love when Ohio State throws in like the gun metal. Uh, like those are really strong. But the OG Ohio State uniforms, like you throw – a photograph of Andy Katzenmoyer with the visor and like there's there's literally like two square inches of helmet that don't have Buckeye stickers and that giant 45. Like who didn't want to be that dude when they were watching, you know, when they were a high school football player watching them on television. Like that it gets no better than that. So those those would be at the top of the list for sure. I do remember Growing up, when I first was kind of introduced to college football on TV, I asked, like, you know, what are those stickers on the helmet? And those, that always stuck with me as well from us. Uh, and then Ohio ESPN State. does the commercial where it's Buckeye. And exactly. Everybody knows. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Cole, I've already kept you longer than I said I would, so I appreciate your time. Uh, you know, really appreciate you sharing not only your story, but your insight into SEC football. Uh, hopefully, you know, there's, there's a bowl game down the road when things are back to normal that uh, our crews can kind of get together and mingle and we can do this more often. I would love it. Thank you so much for having me, man. And, Thanks uh, a lot. Look forward to catching up again soon. Absolutely. All right. Thanks once again to Cole for joining the show. Really appreciate him. Want to change it up a little bit and uh, get some outside perspectives, new voices on the show. Um, Cole obviously knows a ton about college football, way more than me. And uh, it's always nice to look outward 
uh, especially while we're still waiting for Big Ten football to return. So thanks again to Cole. Uh, next guest, as I mentioned at the top, is Harold Shelton. He is a recurring guest on the show to talk Big Ten football with it now just being uh, a week away with the Friday night debut on October 23rd. And we talked scheduling, we talked uh, players and positions, and tried to get a sense of who to look out for this year um, from a player standpoint. And we also wrapped up with a little college basketball talk um, as that season is sneaking up on us as well. So I'll toss it over to H. It is ETN's manager of research, Harold Shelton. All right, I'm very pleased to be rejoined by BTN manager of research, Harold Shelton. H, welcome back. We had a little bit of a, a break, um, had some had some guests rescheduled, but uh, good to have you back and just in time for football to start up in about a week. Yeah, it's good to be back. And, you know, I know with, with the way the world is right now, we have to be very flexible in everything that we do. So not a surprise that you were able to, you know, maneuver some things around and, you know, put the feet up, put them down and wind up getting this pot going. Yeah. And since the last time we talked a couple weeks back, um, we have had some more news. You know, everything's always changing, it feels like. But uh, we were waiting on that TV schedule to drop. And uh, it has for, you know, for the most part, at least for week one and for some of the, the marquee games, um, we uh, were able to, you know, get a, get a peek at what to expect. So, H, just off the top, what jumps out at you, um, you know, aside from Illinois and Wisconsin kicking us off and giving BTN the very first Big Ten game of uh, the 2020 season? That, that's pretty cool. So, what, what jumps off the page at you when you – scan the schedule uh, this last week or so? Um, I think that having Illinois-Wisconsin on a Friday, I think will do ridiculous numbers overall. Uh, the fact that so many people have been waiting on Big Ten football to come back uh, to have it on a Friday, you know, when not much else is going on. I believe it's the only Power Five game on a Friday. So I think a lot of eyeballs will be on that. And then you have the the natural look back from probably the biggest upset in college football last year when you're when your guys knocked off the undefeated Badgers at the time. And so I think you can you know naturally bring that back. And I think people just kind of want to see what the Big Ten is going to look like. Um, I think people want to see what the post Jonathan Taylor era is going to look like. So I think that's a good way uh, to kick everything off. Um, other than that, you know, no surprise that, you know, Nebraska, Ohio State is the big noon game. I think we've, we've known that already, but um, you know, seeing Michigan, Ohio State, obviously locked in the Fox forever. That will always be, you know, the number one priority for whoever has that contract. So wasn't too surprised by that. Um, I do think Michigan, Minnesota and prime uh, at night will be very interesting. I think those are two teams that are kind of sort of under the national radar, even though, you know, people in the Big Ten think they'll be pretty good. I think that that can be kind of a measuring stick game and, I don't want to go too far down the road, but I think that the winner of that game gets a lot of momentum for the rest of the year. Yeah, and speaking of those Friday games, it's uh, it's interesting. One thing that jumped out to me was Minnesota getting three of them. Um, I, I assume that they preferred it that way um, for them to, to get that many games. Maybe P.J. Fleck wants that national exposure and to keep that momentum going. What do you, what do you think about uh, the Gophers, you know, kind of – getting the high school schedule going? Um, you know, I think I remember it being such a big deal a couple of years ago when people were, when they were starting to schedule Friday night games. And I remember some fans and some coaches were really upset because it seemed like, you know, it was taken away from the high school football experience or like your, your normal uh, game plan, you know, throughout the week experience. But I think in terms of visibility and eyeballs, when you're the only show in town and you have everybody look, looking at you, and I think that, you know, is a huge advantage as opposed to just kind of being lost into the Big Ten window on a Saturday or the national window on a Saturday. If you get a marquee game on a Friday, especially if you're at home and you can kind of have that be a, a three-hour infomercial and you, and you win the game, I think people will remember that uh, for sure. I remember when Ohio State Northwestern had to get rescheduled uh, last year for a Friday and we had – I mean, that was probably the, the best 
numbers we've had on a game all year because it was the only show in town. So I think that's a huge win for Minnesota. Yeah, this is going to sound like company man speak, but I, I have no patience for, like, the, the complaining about uh, Friday night scheduling taking away from high school football. Because, for, for one thing, a lot of schools, it's, like, once a year at most. You know, me, some schools don't even ever, you know, have to play on Friday night outside of, like, the, the once in a blue moon event. So, for these fans, you know, they're making a choice once, you know, in a while to either go to their high school local football game, their kids game, or watch their, you know, favorite team on, on TV, they can still bring their phones and watch. Like, I, I just haven't under, I just never uh, understood the outcry. I think it's just something that's reactive because people don't like any sort of change. And also I graduated high school a long time ago and uh, don't care about it anymore. So I, I can't, you know, when I have kids, I'm sure it'll be a different story and I understand that angle of it. But um, that argument has always just been kind of, you know, falling on deaf ears for me. So I, I, I agree. I like the Friday games, and uh, I really like to see the Nebraska-Iowa game uh, get slotted back into a Friday. I remember we, we made a big deal about that last year when it seemed like it was the last one for a while on Black Friday, but uh, that one is back. So uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in, in appreciating that that'll be back into its traditional spot. Yeah, it, it was good to see that. Um, you know, I was just kind of talking with some friends, friends and family the other day about how, man, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna have to work on a Friday like that's, you know, been pretty foreign ever since uh, I got into the field because there's always some kind of college football on Friday. And, and even before Nebraska joined the Big Ten, you know, they had that Black Friday rivalry with Colorado. They played on Black Friday for like 30 years and it looked like that was going to come to an end. And you know, this year, originally before the pandemic hit, they were going to play Minnesota to end the season. And it was going to be on Black Friday and it was the whole, oh, it's going to be weird. They're not playing Iowa on Black Friday. And you fast forward and now they're playing Iowa on Black Friday. So with all of the things that have gone on um, that have kind of thrown us off kilter, we can look at Black Friday and see Nebraska and Iowa playing each other and it'll seem somewhat normal. All right, so good, good stuff there, H, with the scheduled discussion. Um, I do want to get into some of the specifics, though, as far as these rosters go, because I'm uh, admittedly you know, kind of ignorant about what the Big Ten has coming back. I know the big names, but I'm not as familiar with uh, you know, some of the situations that are playing out across, across the conference, whether that's in the backfield or under center. Um, so I need your help here. I know you just sent out your massive, uh, famous – uh, preview packet that is uh, well known around the BTN halls. So got that, but I've not had a chance to pour over it yet. So you're gonna have to fill me in and give me the Cliff's notes. Um, so let's do some player positional previews, starting obviously under center with the, uh, the quarterbacks. And, you know, I know the big names. I know Justin Fields, Tanner Morgan, Adrian Martinez. Um, who do you have your eyes on this year? Who might be a sleeper and uh, who, you know, might have some challenges as far as either depleted wideout situation or who might be in for, like I said, a, a breakout performance coming out of the radar in 2020. Um, so first of all, I think you're too kind with the, the famous packet. Um, it is lengthy, but I don't know if it, how famous it is. But uh, I will say the quarterback position is very, very interesting this year. Um, you know, you talked about the big two of Fields and Morgan, but after that, I mean, it's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I believe there's six schools right now that have definite QB controversies or QB races, I should say, um, whether it's a two-man race, three-man race. Like I know Maryland, Michigan State, Northwestern, Purdue, Rutgers, Wisconsin all have some issues there with Jack Cohn going out. It looks like Graham Mertz will be the guy there, but they haven't uh, said for sure. Um, and then there's also QB intrigue when you lose a Shea Patterson, you lose a Nate Stanley, you get some guys that have been there who look like they're going to be, you know, the guy going forward with the, a Spencer Petras for the Hawkeyes and Joe Milton with Michigan. But we just haven't really seen them play. You know, Joe Milton looks the part, you know, he's 6'5", 240, strong arm, mobile, but he's throwing 11 passes in his career and two of them are picked off. We just don't have the sample size for a guy like that. But, you know, if he matures and plays well, maybe he's the difference between, you know, losing some of the games that Shea Patterson lost and maybe getting over that hump against Ohio State. 
Um, I think Nebraska is very interesting because Adrian Martinez, we all expected him to take that jump as a sophomore after having that great freshman year. I know he played through some injury, uh, but didn't look so great. And Luke McCaffrey wound up playing and playing pretty well. I'll be curious to see if they go with two quarterbacks. Will both of them play at the same time with maybe McCaffrey at a different position? Does McCaffrey beat them out altogether? I think that part is going to be really, really interesting. All right. I feel like that theme kind of carries over to running backs because, you you know, you see guys now showing out on Sundays like J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor. They're gone. Um, I, you know, I'm struggling to think of off the top of my head starting running backs in – the big 10. So fill me in on that position because, you know, I, I, I'm sure some guys that were maybe the second or third options will now slot in and I'll, I'll recognize them in the backfields, but um, who, who are some feature backs? Who do we expect to maybe, uh, you know, become more familiar names by December? So it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, the big 10 media, they do like a preseason poll every year and they pick, you know, one through seven in the East and the West in the title game prediction. And they have, like offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. And of the top 12 candidates for offensive player of the year, there's only one running back. So kind of to your point, there's no the, – the Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins crew is gone. Journey Brown's the only guy that's back for Penn State that appears to be in that elite category. And even that, you know, the last five games he was really, really good – but we didn't really know much about him. Penn State, he was probably the third or fourth back on that team before he emerged. So I'd be curious to see um, if he can hold up being the feature guy. Um, I do think Ohio State, they're always going to reload. I mean, Master Teague made third team all Big Ten as a backup <laughs> last year. Uh, I know he had injury issues uh, in the offseason. So, you know, we'll see if they try to work him back in slowly. They also got Trey Sermon, Oklahoma transfer, but he also had injury issues. So even though Ohio State has a lot of talent there, I'll be curious to see uh, how they manage that. Uh, Wisconsin, you wonder what they're going to do there. I mean, they still have Gary Groshek back. They got Nikia Watson. Both of them played, you know, a decent amount last year. They went back to the New Jersey well, got another four-star recruit at running back. So we'll see if he winds up getting the mix, Jalen Berger. Um, but will they go by committee or will, you know, a freshman like that kind of take the job like Taylor did in week two as a freshman. So I think there's a lot of intrigue there. Uh, Michigan is loaded at running back uh, between Zach Charbonnet and Hassan Haskins. Uh, both were underclassmen last year. Charbonnet had a great freshman year, so they kind of ran to a wall at the end. But they get Chris Evans back, who was suspended all of last year. Uh, he was a big factor for them. Uh, in the previous two seasons in 17 and 18. So they're going to have a pretty loaded backfield. And uh, surprisingly, Elijah Collins is the leading returning rusher in the Big Ten. Uh, so he had even more rushing yards than Journey Brown. So um, it's not your, your who's who that we're used to seeing, but his league is always, always has good backs. Uh, Mahabi Ibrahim being another one who kind of got lost in the shuffle, Rodney Smith coming back. So the league will still be in good hands at the backfield positions. Yeah, I did not realize that about Elijah Collins. That's interesting. Um, so I want to move on to pass catchers now. We'll throw tight ends in the mix as well because I know Pat Fryermuth is included in kind of that collection of, of uh, returnees that, you know, is making the Big Ten, thankfully, a lot more interesting because without Fryermuth and Rondell Moore and Rashad Bateman, uh, some of the electricity definitely would have been sapped from from the league this year, but they're they're all uh, coming back. Hopefully, they'll all stay healthy. Um, you know, then you you look at Ohio State's got a great crop of receivers as well. Uh, I think Olave's still there, right? Garrett Wilson mm -hmm. um, is outstanding. Uh, so they'll they'll be you know electric as usual. Uh, what do you what do you see out of this position across the league, uh, both at wide out and tight end? Who do you expect to light it up in the uh, receptions category? Uh well. Purdue, they have an embarrassment of riches at the position. Oh. I mean, the fact you get the, the last two Big Ten freshmen of the year uh, not are going to be lined up on the same side. You know, the fact that Rondell Moore decided to come back. I uh, was a big boost for that offense. Um, I think the way Jeff Brown throws it around and a lot of trick plays you see, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them threw to the other. I mean, they're going to potentially light up the scoreboard no matter who's that quarterback. Uh, Rashad Bateman deciding to opt back in. I think uh, he's primed for another huge season. 
Um, he was second in that media poll for offensive player of the year behind Justin Fields. So I think a lot of big things are expected from him. He's the, you know, Big Ten receiver of the year from 2019. So you match that with Rondell Moore from 2018. Got some pretty explosive guys back. I um, mean, you mentioned Ohio State. They're always loaded at receiver. Um, Penn State, they got Fryer Muth, obviously a tight end. Jahan Dotson is a guy I think you should keep your eye on. Um, he averaged about 19 yards a catch last year, and that was with K.J. Hamler on the team. So he kind of went under the radar because of those other two, but I would certainly look out for him. Uh, and I like Wap Fillier a lot. He kind of gets lost in the shuffle there. Uh, but the Indiana, that Indiana offense should be really good with Penix throwing him the deep ball now. Still got Stevie Scott, so you can't put all of your attention over there on WAP. I think WAP can have some, some big games. He had about three or four games last year where he had 10 catches in those games uh, each. So I think WAP could be a guy who could break out if Indiana has another good year. Yeah, Amir Smith Marset is uh, another guy who, you know, is very talented and it's like, uh, you know, who's going to be throwing him the ball? It's going to depend on, you know, some, some of their production is going to depend on the, uh, the gunslingers under center, just like at, at Purdue. And, um, you know, it's interesting because we, we bring up the Penn State guys, guys like Fryermuth coming back, but uh, Micah Parsons is not coming back. Um, he, he has opted out. So going to the other side of the ball now, uh, I want to know who we should look out for as you know, defensive game changers this year. We don't have to go position by position, but uh, I do want to know, you know, it's not like we get a, a Chase Young every year, but who's going to be – a big-time playmaker, you know, maybe an Antoine Winfield type, A.J. Epinesa, um, just these, these game-changers on defense that, uh, you know, we, we seem to churn out year after year in the Big Ten. Uh, well, I think Michigan is, is pretty loaded up front. I think with Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson in that 3-4, um, both of them playing D.N., I think they'll both make a lot of plays. Uh, it went under the radar a little bit last year because the defense wasn't good. But George Karloftis from Purdue, I mean, as a true freshman, he was a monster. He got in the backfield constantly. And he was up there with the Chase Youngs and the A.J. Epinesas and the Kenny Willikases and the Etor Grossmatoses for tackles for loss. And that's as a true freshman. Um, and it's not like. I mean, he, it's not like he had a guy on the other side that, you know, you had to double, so he was going one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he stood up to the challenge and he made dudes look silly. So I can only imagine what he's going to look like with a full off season and coming in as a sophomore. Um, I think Sean Wade opting back in. You're looking at Ohio State DBU, another first-round pick <laughs> from, from the secondary. Uh, Kerry Coombs coming back as the defensive coordinator who was the great secondary coach for them for years. So you get that tutelage uh, with Wade. He'll probably be even better this year. Um, Patty Fisher somehow is still in school. <laughs> so he's back for another year. Um, you know, he's been one of the best linebackers in the league ever since he stepped on campus. Uh, and don't be surprised if Zach Harrison, you know, you won't, I don't think he'll be Chase Young, but this is a five-star guy who played some as the freshman last year. I assume he'll step right into that Chase Young boy, uh, start, come off the edge, you know, create havoc for a lot of opponents. So um, those are kind of guys that, that I'm looking for. I don't know if we'll see an Antoine Winfield type. Maybe that's Dax Hill at Michigan, another five-star guy who saw some time, started some games toward the end of last year. Um, it's a lot of younger talent, not as many of the, you know, the, the big names in the big schools, but I think there's a lot of talent spread out throughout different schools. All right. And I got to know, do we have a kind of utility guy, utility player, uh, jack of all trades type in the league this year? I know, you know, Jabril Peppers was the uh, lightning rod a few years ago, you know, both for, criticism and for praise that was I think my first year at BTN and like that was blowing up social media um you know it feels like the Big Ten every once in a while has has guys that can uh you know return punts and light it up on on one side of the ball or sometimes both is there anyone to look out for in the Big Ten this year and putting you on the spot a little bit here um now I don't know about going both ways like a Jabril or a Chris Gamble or something teams in addition to 
doing his thing at receiver. Um, and this is a guy who was a Paul Horning Award uh, winner in uh, two years ago. And so we saw his impact. Um, he's super hard to tackle in the open field. Um, he's a guy that runs great routes, always seems to get open. So I think whether he's carrying the ball, whether he's catching it, whether he's returning it on kicks or punts, I mean, we saw it his first game. You know, he had 300 yards against Northwestern all purpose, even though he lost the game. Like, that was the introduction to America of, you know, maybe the next, you know, big thing. And he lived up to it all year. Obviously, he got hurt and had QB issues last year, but they look to be even more loaded than they were two years ago. If they figure out that QB situation, I think he could have a huge year. All right. I was just trying to do a crossword puzzle in my head because he broke up for one second when uh, you said that the name. So I'm not even going to cut that. Just tell me who it is because I'm, I'm trying to piece it together. 300 yards in Western. Rondale, okay. I was going to say first game, that adds up. I, I remember that vividly under the lights. I think it was a Thursday night. Uh, for Purdue. Yeah, so. Internet issues. Yeah, Thursday night against Northwestern again, that, that same thing we talked about. When you have a game and you, you got the bright lights to yourself and all eyes are on you, if you do well, your team do, does well, you know, everybody remembers it. And that's a perfect case. Hey, first world problems. It's, it's probably our, you know, biggest hurdle in COVID era is any uh, Zoom lagginess, but it's all good. Before we wrap up, H, um, I do want to pivot to basketball a little bit now that we've, um, you know, got our eyes on some names for football. Uh, basketball, you know, it's, it, it's moving in chunks. It feels like we get some news dumps every so often. Uh, we know a little bit more than we did a couple weeks ago last time we talked. And uh, I just want to get your thoughts on some of the schedule developments, or at least rumors that we have heard. Um, it's funny now. The word the word that's hot in the streets is, or the term is uh, MTEs, the multi-team events. Um, you know, college basketball for some reason just loves slapping these acronyms together and uh you know then it becomes part of the vernacular so uh how are you how are you feeling about these uh mtes and potentially big 10 schools either going to orlando like uh like your spartans are instead of the champions classic in chicago or uh you know hosting themselves on campus yeah it's definitely going to be different like i saw nebraska was hosting one on campus um, and I feel like the fields are still trying to get sorted out. There was, there's been a lot of fields that have changed. Like I know Michigan State was supposed to be in the Orlando Invitational and I was going to have Gonzaga in it and it was going to have uh, Auburn and uh, Xavier and they wound up pulling out. And now it looks like these Orlando tournaments are going to be no more than four teams per tournament instead of the traditional eight. So I think you're starting to see like some things kind of get moved around quite a bit, which is crazy considering the season's like in six weeks. But, you know, COVID era, we have to adjust on the fly is what it is. Um, Sioux Falls appears to be <laughs> the, the place to be uh, for college hoops, uh, more so than Orlando even. Um, you know, Ohio State's going to open the season there with, in, uh, with Memphis. Um, that I think it's called the Falls Crossover Classic now, which replaces the battle for Atlantis. Um, so, you know, they're going to be in a loaded field with, with Creighton and Dayton and Wichita State and West Virginia and A&M. So, you know, Ohio State's going to have a lot of good games there. And then you got Iowa and the Zags in Sioux Falls the same day as the Big Ten title game and Champions Week. So um, a lot of eyes will be on Sioux Falls. It's good to see Champions Classic still going on. We're still going to have ACC Big Ten, even though we don't know the opponents. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to get the Gavit games this year, but uh, hopefully those will come back. But uh, I think we talked about uh, Indiana is another one. They're supposed to play in Maui. Now it goes to Asheville. Um, not quite the same, but as we talked about before, Asheville's nice. It's just it's just not Hawaii. But again, it's, uh, it's 2020. You kind of have to, you know, prepare for the unexpected and, and make the most out of your situations. And so, the fact that they're still trying to get games going safely, uh, I'm all for that. I was going to say, whoever's the marketing director or the, the booker at the uh, San, is it, uh, Sanford Pentagon in Sioux Falls? Yes. Where they're posting all these games. They deserve some sort of shout-out or raise because they're getting, like you said, the marquee matchups um, at, that, at that building. It's going to be interesting. I love how also they have the old school like lane there. I don't know if you remember yeah. from watching oh, yeah. games, but it's, it's, a, it's like a Hoosiers vibe going there. It's uh, – it also reminds me of the, the gym in um, 
blue chips. Just kind of got the <laughs> same sculptures. It's an uh, interesting watch for sure. I've been looking forward to it. Also, I heard, uh, I don't know if this is like confirmed yet or not. Probably not. So I'm going to, uh, you know, so hedge a little is- bit. Yeah, I'm going to hedge this a little bit. I think I saw Jeff Goodman tweet something about this. But uh, Rutgers is out of the Jimmy V Classic. But uh, mm-hmm. Illinois and Baylor are potentially a matchup that, to look out for there. That would be awesome if, uh, you know, you get Baylor pretty awesome. much everyone coming back. Illinois pretty much everyone coming back. Could be a top 10 early season matchup. So I hope we get to see that. That'd be sweet. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And, you know, kind of in the same vein with Iowa and the Zags, you get a couple of top 10 teams where you need some games and – Hey, you know, if we can make it work, let's let's make it happen. And I like the fact that, you know, these teams know they want to be battle tested and they're looking for challenges. Um, obviously the Big Ten is gonna be a little different because you have a 20 conference game schedule, other teams have 16, so they need to fill more games out. But I do like the fact that even with the 20 game schedule, teams are looking to try to get marquee matchups instead of just getting the the local school down the road to try to get an easy win. Yeah, I know Arizona's return to Illinois uh, got pushed back a year. So I think that they're looking to fill some sort of marquee slot. So that'd be that'd be good. And yeah, it's going to be uh, if there's any silver lining to the situation, it's, I think it's just the, you know, kind of vibe of teams throwing their hands up and say, sure, you know, we'll play out in South Dakota on a Wednesday night. Why not? So I, uh, I'm looking forward to college basketball, but first things first, we got football very soon. Hopefully we can get on a, a chat next week and, and really get into some of the matchups. Um, so we'll plan on that. H, appreciate you jumping on as always, and we will talk soon. All right, sounds good. Looking forward to next week. We actually get some, some real football in our league, and I'm looking forward to it. Yes, sir. All right, thanks once again to Harold. I always enjoy talking to him. We'll do so uh, much more often as the calendar piles up here with a lot of football and basketball throughout the fall and winter. And uh, appreciate Cole once again as well. We, uh, we'll try and get these episodes coming out weekly. Um, sometimes we do have a gap like we did between this episode and the last one. Try to avoid that, just to stay relevant and current. But, uh, you know, sometimes guest schedules get moved around. And um, really appreciate Cole for jumping in uh, in a pinch, especially when he is super busy this time of year. He's everywhere. So thanks once again to everyone for tuning in. Thank you to Julie Bronder for producing the show, as always. And uh, if you have not already, please throw us a rating or review on any of your podcast platforms. And check us out on YouTube if you want to watch these interviews and um, see the guests uh, in all their glory. We do have a YouTube a uh, playlist on our Big Ten Network YouTube channel. So subscribe to Big Ten Network on YouTube. Find the Take Ten Podcast playlist on that page. That's all we got. So we will talk to you very soon here on the Take Ten Podcast.